Hello and welcome to the Children's Learning Disability Therapeutic Service podcasts, which provide advice and guidance to families who care for a child with a learning disability. I'm Louise McConnell, Clinical Lead for the Service, and today I'm with Amanda to discuss activities. So Amanda, you're very welcome. And just for our listeners, could you introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about your role? Yeah, hi. Um, So I'm Amanda and I'm one of the behavioural specialists in the team. I joined the service um, around 2013 and I have a professional background also in nursing within the area of learning disability. So I would view my role as a nurse and a behavioural specialist to be of a similar nature in that the principles and core values are much the same. To support and empower people with a learning disability, their families and carers, to improve and maintain a young person's physical and mental health um, and to help to reduce barriers to help them live independently and support the young person to live an enriched and fulfilling life. Very nice. That's a nice way of putting what we do, isn't it? Yeah. We Ultimately, we are always about trying to improve quality of life yeah. for people. So, Amanda, we're talking about activities today. This is a huge topic, but when we discussed the the podcast we did it all agree that it was a topic that needed to be covered mm-hmm. now obviously we can't cover everything today mm-hmm. but we're hoping to give people a bit of a flavor Would that be fair to say yeah yeah right so it's quite vague whenever mm-hmm. we say activities so why are we covering activities i suppose sometimes you know families might struggle with what activities are or maybe how to find and implement suitable and meaningful activities for their children. They may worry that their child is always going to need help and want and want to encourage learning and independence, but not sure how to plan or prepare them for this. So I suppose whenever we, we, we think about activities, really we're talking about sort of, you know, daily routines as well as activities um, as such like play activities and things like that. It's and quite you, broad. It is quite broad, but I just want to add clarify one word you said there meaningful yeah because i i hear myself use that a lot yeah. what does meaningful mean i suppose meaningful means that you know it's functional for the child it's meaningful it's it's things that they're interested in they're motivated by you know things that really get their attention okay and when we you said there the activities we're talking about daily routines and daily tasks yeah but can you Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so when we talk about activities and daily tasks, we really are talking about having those daily routines. So routines are like sequence or actions that take place regularly in the same order. Okay. So you would have things like activities of daily living, which would be all the basic self-care tasks that we all do every day to keep ourselves healthy, clean and generally feeling good. So getting up and washed and dressed in the morning. Yep, exactly that. And young people with a learning disability might experience difficulties carrying out such such activities as in their daily life because they can have, dif- have difficulty remembering important tasks. So they may also have additional challenges such as physical disabilities, sensory processing difficulties, communication difficulties, or specific conditions such as cerebral palsy, which can affect their movement and coordination skills. So they might need extra help um, with their fine and gross motor skills. 
Um, so such things like maybe lifting to hold items to dress appropriately or independently. So routines, you know, do that include um, the things that you do every day. So getting up, having a shower, getting dressed, brushing your teeth, you know, going to the toilet, having breakfast. We do these generally in the same order every day. So other routines, you know, for example, could be weekly. So mm -hmm. things that you might do, you know, every Tuesday you go to the supermarket or, you know, maybe clubs that you go to. So Wednesday night could be your swimming and those types of things. It's about those regular routines that all families do with their children. And I know um, particularly for the, the groups of families that we support, that routines can be really important to some young people they become really focused on the routine I think particularly about holiday time when we really see changes in young people because they're out of the normal Structure. routine mm -hmm. yeah. so when families say well it's just a normal day mm -hmm. but actually that normality can be quite anchoring for a child yeah absolutely so why do we need to think about activities? Why are thinking about the activities important? Why yeah. can you not just do it? Yeah. Well, most of us, um, if you think really, we all, we're all sort of creatures of habit. We like things to be predictable. It helps us all feel safe and secure. So this is even more important, I would say, for young people with a learning disability because having a learning disability can affect their ability to understand and remember information. So it can take them maybe a wee bit longer to learn everyday tasks and they may need support to develop skills and understand complex information to manage those daily tasks. If your world is very chaotic and confusing, there can be a lot of uncertainty which leads to anxiety. Young people with a learn, learning disability require a very concrete, literal and predictable world to feel secure. To help them to cope with this insecurity, we have to decrease the uncertainty in their lives. And we do know for children uh, um, that have a learning disability that they do find life just that wee bit more anxious yeah so anything that we can do to help reduce that is yeah good. and we do that through repetition and having those regular routines in place so it increases their expectation so that's why it's important for the, the young person I guess it's also important for the family yeah, very important for the family, you know, having those regular routines also help family members know, you know, who should be doing what and where and in what order and how often. Um, and parents as well as children tend to be better with a rough structure to the day. I know for me, myself as a mum, I'd be lost without the family visual calendar. There's something about knowing the things that are written down that I can refer to, which gives me the headspace for thinking or planning other things that need to be done. So having an organised home environment can be helpful when young people are going through difficult stages or experiences. So establishing good family routines can also be a, a, a way for young people with a learning disability to, to have opportunities to develop their skills. This is vital um, to giving them greater independence and choice to communicate their needs and opportunities to learn new things. Having a good structure enables our young people to anticipate what is happening in specific situations and environments. Well-established routines, as we've already said, can help to reduce their anxiety so they can become confident in knowing what's happening now and next. It's important to structure the environment around them with clear predictions and routines. As you're saying this, I am just nodding away here thinking, yes, this is about 
children with a learning disability. Yeah. But actually, developmentally, a lot of children need that predictability and that now and next and yes. the, the routine because it helps them learn as well. Yeah. So, yeah, the best routines are usually regular, predictable and well-planned. And you're right, you know, it's it's for all all children need the, the consistency. And just our children maybe need it presented a wee bit differently. Mm -hmm. And that probably would be the difference. Does that mean we have to stick rigidly to it? No, absolutely not. Like flexibility and routine is also good to have for times when circumstances need to change, um, which can also help to build resilience and coping skills. So identifying effective strategies or resources, parents can help their child to manage and cope better at these times. Because I know, I know um, just listening to that, there, there might be the tendency to get the ruler out and set out very clearly what the um, routine is and what's happening next and mm -hmm. not want to deviate from that. But actually sometimes having that wee bit of flexibility, just as you say, allows people allows a child to yeah to be able to flex too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's all about how you plan for that and prepare for that. Yeah. So we've talked about activities and we're talking about routines that I mentioned getting up in the morning, night time, the order things happen. And that all sounds quite structured and yeah. almost work like mm -hmm. but is play an activity. Yeah, so this is where activity becomes a huge topic because, yes, we've talked about the daily routines and the structure and the daily things, but obviously we do have play routines as well that also create great opportunities for young people to have fun whilst learning new things. So play in the sense of play with toys and things like that is fundamental to your child's learning and development. And you can use playful activities to develop your child's skills in many areas, such as their social skills, where you could use your child's favourite television character in a social story to support them to share. So developing language skills where they could be supported to request and name their favourite toy. Um, you know, enhancing their gross and fine motor skills through, you know, building blocks using Lego or maybe doing like inset puzzles. Mm -hmm. Um, and general play skills so don't forget about the games so we've got the games like pop-up pirate and you know um, things like that that encourage turn-taking and those are particularly fun to do when encouraging interaction with siblings and getting everybody together for, for family time yeah I mean that, that that's certainly the before I had children I didn't realize just how important snakes and ladders mm -hmm. was just for that turn-taking yeah. and planning all young people, including those with a learning disability, like feel motivated and learn best when they're interested in what they're doing. So you want to try to find your child's interests. What do they like to do? What makes them smile, laugh, seek interaction with you? They may like specific television programmes such as Peppa Pig or Paw Patrol, which can be used for creating an activity such as matching by using the characters to help motivate interest. It's important to find activities which both excite and calm your child for having a variety of resources that help them feel more regulated throughout the day. So, you know, there's there's so many activities out there. And again, you know, for young children and for older children as well. And it doesn't always have to be like thinking about things to buy or purchase. There can be things equally in and around the house that can, you know, they can become involved in. And particularly for older children, they might like to participate in household tasks 
which can also be motivating like sorting the laundry into colours, loading and unloading the washing machine, matching socks, maybe doing some recycling tasks, setting the table, sorting the cutlery. There's mm-hmm. lots of practical activities that could um, engage their interests and they're doing it alongside you through that model and role play and, and that also very much develops life skills. I have to say that the, the life skills activities are are the activities that I would use quite a lot with yeah. the young people. And just as you say, you know, you practice sorting the cutlery using plastic cutlery initially. Yeah. In uh, one of those plastic cutlery trays. trays yeah. And then you go on to the, the, the main stuff. When we talk about these things, we also need to think about the level that the yeah. and the, the practice maybe. So we can't really expect the, a young person to sort the white washing out immediately. Yeah, so there's a lot about, um, you know, also recognising your child's developmental stage and not necessarily their chronological age when choosing um, play activities. So there's, there's a lot of information there already. Um, we yeah. started off talking about what we mean by activities and how activities happen on a day-to-day basis in a routine mm-hmm. most of the time. Those activities can be daily tasks that you need to keep healthy, like the washing and the dressing. They can also be um, the activities which are play-based, but the play-based can also be an opportunity to develop other skills Mm -hmm. and to develop life skills. But we did make reference there about getting it at the right level and about the practice. And Mm -hmm. so there are things that we do need to take into account, such as a child's communication level mm-hmm. and their sensory needs. Yeah. So do we think about a 16-year-old with a 16-year-old activities or? Well, no. So I suppose that's kind of what we mean by the sort of stage and, you know, and, and age. So, you, I mean, you, there, you could have a child aged seven or eight, but developmentally, you know, function around the stage, maybe of a two or a three-year-old. So that would be where you would want to pitch then your play at and equally if you know we're engaging in any practical activities around the house or whatever what's suitable for that stage mm-hmm. um, of development uh, to make sure that they're kind of appropriate and effective for their learning and development. And that's where it's really important to know what those assessments are, yeah. what the communication assessment is, what the sensory assessment yeah. is. Because you could have a sensory assessment that recommends you know, from uh, if you've got an OT and they've done a sensory assessment, they could have other activities incorporated into your child's routine. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, those are the activities that are helping them feel regulated and, mm-hmm. you know, reducing anxieties and, you know, meeting their sensory needs differently. So, yeah, there's definitely through lots of kind of other assessment tools, you will, there'll be other activities that you could use. So then what do parents need to think about for planning activities at home? So I suppose when you're planning activities at home, you know, you really need to think about how best to structure and organise the environment that you live in. So your environment being your home, um, that, that makes it more predictable and increases organisation for you and for your child. So it's practical. It has to be practical for you. So every family as well, but this will be different yeah. for So, you know, some children might like to have a work learning station area that encourages their learning and development, but as this can also be quite grounding and regulating for them and doing very specific focused tasks, 
we do tend to think about kind of like work learning stations, more school based activities. Mm -hmm. But actually, for some of our children, especially those with ASD, you know, they very much, those are very regulated and organised tasks for them to do. So it can be helpful even just to have tabletop activities, you know, and have that kind of first, you know, this is where we start and this is where we end activities because that can that can help even in the home environment. That can be useful. Um, You know, sensory and messy play might be best to have, like as a floor-based activity. So you might need to think about having an area that's easily cleaned at home. Um, using plastic trays that could be used for maybe like wet and dry sensory play. I think I've said to you in my house there's a green table or there was a green table my children have grown up a little bit mm -hmm. but the green table was where you did your painting and your play-doh yeah. and the messy corner. The messy corner <laughs> yes and it, it just became that's what you did yeah and it wasn't very often that it was that was talked about, yes. but it was just through the practice and the doing it on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that that's everyone... just where it gets done. Yeah, in that mm -hmm. in the messy corner, and I think that's the, you, the what's nice to build up is that context. Mm -hmm. You know, things just happen in context and yeah. in order. Um. So yeah. So that can be useful. Um. To do and um. Yeah. I'm just leaving. Like I said, having the kitchen table. You know, if you're if there's you know, sometimes there's just not enough room for things and you're trying to find the room to fit these things in. But even by using the kitchen table and having a, a different, ta having a tablecloth, so a tablecloth indicates when it's dinner, yeah. but without the tablecloth, that's playtime. And things like that can be quite useful for helping your child understand the difference and increasing their expectation of what is happening. Things like having a quiet space or a, or a common area in the home can be useful for engaging in relaxation and again in regulating activities that could be a good place for sensory based activities and if, if there has been different sensory strategies recommended by the OT that's a nice time to do them um, and again that's that's it can also be a nice area for when the children just like to take themselves off have a wee bit of downtime um, because that's their own independent space. So working and play areas really should be free from clutter. So you just might need to think about, you know, having sort of clear spaces and also maybe any external factors like noise or smells or lighting that may affect your child's learning experience. Consider having appropriate storage for the activities your young person needs that can be easily found for whenever you're setting up the home environment. Just helps to be have things readily available. Yeah. Um, and again, I swear by plastic boxes. Mm. So yeah, just lots of plastic. They can just be really useful putting your toys and activities into and just having all of that. And then I suppose the last thing would really be about the length of time that you spend on an activity, you know, considering that, that they're time limited and meeting, you know, your child's attention span and that there's you know, having that range of kind of structured and unstructured play and really the variety of having activities that are adult-led and also child-led. And that that's okay as well. Yeah. We've talked about what what parents need to think about there, but what about a child? How do you help the child understand what's what this environment looks like and what this environment's for? Yeah, so helping them sort of navigate their yeah. own environment. Yeah. So again, visual, visuals, you know, and I suppose this is where we want to really create those visual clear areas um, because that will support the structure that needs to be already in place. Um, so the structure's in place, everything's in place, and we support that in a visual way. 
um, in a podcast that my colleague Orla um, uh, has done. It's like she's talked about the, the use of visuals and what's needed to best support implementing schedules, social stories and other communication strategies. Um, I'll also put up um, some resources for like access and practical play and sensory specific activities and I put some links on um, just because there's a wealth of information out there about um, how to structure the environment at home, what resources could be helpful for parents and also given just a real good list of loads of different activities you know that you can do Pinterest is just amazing. Yeah, it is. Although I do think we need to put a health warning with those things because sometimes there is so much information there. It can you can lead to parents being overwhelmed. Never okay. mind a child. Yeah. Um. So think about you want to be able to see the table underneath all the visuals that you're yeah. you're using. So um, I think parents need to take time and think about what is the essential bits. Yeah. Um, and not worry about all the other hundreds of things you might see on the, the internet, but absolutely. Yeah. Loads of resources out there. Yeah. Even just for getting practical like t- ideas for activities that you can do at home. Yeah. That it's not breaking the bank and yeah. costing you lots of money. It's it's good for that. Um, and then there'll be videos obviously that follow, you know, this that I'll be demonstrating how visual support should be implemented when engaging your child in activities and teaching a skill. So hopefully some of those videos will go hand in hand with some of this information today and make it, you know, just bring a wee bit more meaning (laughs) to it. Now, earlier on, Amanda, when you were talking about the sort of daily routines and the tasks of daily living, Mm -hmm. I was thinking about Peppa Pig coming in my head and the number of Peppa Pig things I had at one point around my house to encourage people to brush their teeth or mm-hmm. get washed or yeah. eat their dinner yeah. you know Peppa Pig was everywhere so how do we help a child learn new skills and what needs to be thought of because it's not just always as simple as here's a picture of Peppa Pig yeah. doing something yeah you need to break need to break the skills down mm-hmm. um, and yes we can do that by using these favorite characters and you know favorite things but there's I suppose more to it what we need to do with these characters so again there'll be another wee video that and I'll demonstrate how a practical tasks such as teeth brushing like um, can be broken down to support learning a skill using visual supports so things like visual token reward systems you know they can be such a mouthful of words but you know they can be quite motivating and encouraging for young people to support them to complete a skill so, for example, they're working for something they would really like. So this could be to earn one of maybe a four possible stickers or tokens, which could be your Peppa Pig tokens. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're earned by completing the task. So you're getting one sticker or a token for every step um, of completing a sequence to mm-hmm. get the preferred activity. So we use things in that kind of context. Um, you also want to ensure that you give lots of immediate rewards such as praise, high five and verbal prompts such as well done. They're all encouraging for every child and it, it helps them to know you know, that they're reassured and they're doing a really good job. It may be that immediate rewards are used initially to gain their understanding and expectation of the reward system before moving on to that token based one. Um, Again, so these things could be staged in a way because you're wanting really for the child to be motivated by it yeah. initially. 
um, and they know that by doing this I'm getting something and it's um, so the aim is really to flood your child with lots of support and encouragement until they become confident and independent and learning that skill and that's something that we would encourage any family to be doing anyway absolutely yeah so it's important to remember you know that skills are best learned as well whenever your child is calm and content so happy children learn better mm-hmm. so you know a child won't learn if they're upset so even activities or strategies that support your child to feel calm and regulated they need to be learned when your child is feeling calm and regulated because this ma- maximizes their attention and then it helps them to understand what the function is for them so they know then when they feel upset that these things help them calm. Okay. Um, so it, it enhances their understanding and adult direction may be needed, you know, if a child becomes um, upset and unable to independently access their calming strategies. But it's easier for your child to be redirected when they're aware of the supports that they have and, and know that they're effective for them. And, you know, we're talking about a calm child and also calm adults as well. Calm adults too, yep. Calm adults learn better, but calm adults can calm a child better. Yeah. Um, so it's also important to be consistent, you know, when teaching a skill. Um, you want to choose a practical time of the day and try to stick to that same time where possible. Um, and ensure that the target skills, so the skill that you're teaching, has been confidently learnt before introducing a new one. So you don't want to have too many of these kind of running. Yeah. You really want to prioritise, you know, like what's one thing that would be good for my child to learn and really work at that one thing and, you know, don't overload or overwhelm with too many things because yeah. it can come, become sense. a bit confusing. Yeah. Um, and children with a learning disability, you know, they really understand better and learn better through repetition and lots of role modelling. Um, so adult direction may be needed initially through modelling and prompting, but it's really through practice, practice and practice with your child that will help them become like more confident and more independent. Yeah, and I think we forget that children watch us. They yeah. watch adults. So they, they're always learning. So they're learning all our habits yeah. and the way we do things. So. Absolutely. And it's really important for us to be thinking about that whenever we're trying to teach a new skill. Yeah. So many parents would say they find it really difficult to encourage their child to follow their lead. So when they're starting a new task or activity or if their child isn't engrossed in an activity. Yeah. Um, it can be very difficult to divert their attention away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably the biggest culprit is the iPad yeah, or tablet. Yep. And um, we have lots of families talk about that. Yeah. What advice would you offer here? Yeah. So that's really looking at transition. And mm-hmm. I suppose, again, transitions. transition is another one of those big words, massive big topic. But I suppose in, in the context of that question, we're talking about transitioning between activities. Yes. Um, so, yep, many children struggle with transitions and all all children yeah. can struggle with this. Some adults do too. <laughs> Some adults too. Um, which really what we mean by that is like the ending of an activity and the beginning of another one. So the advice I would give regarding this really is preparation is key. It's all in the preparing your child for change or to be to move on. 
Um, so there are a few ways to support um, your child with transitions. The very nature of having structure and predictability in place, like what we talked about, the structure, the predictability, the routines, mm -hmm. um, that might make it easier for your child to tolerate a transition because within that context. So, for example, they know that they go to bed and as soon as bath time or supper ends, this is part of like an established routine. So they might be okay with that. So they, they know they go to bed after yes. those is yes. what I'm saying. Um, so that's within the context, that's within the routine. So that's just what you do. Young people with learned disability, they, they can often have difficulty switching their brain between different tasks. So they do much better if they have reminders. Um, and that's a reminder whenever one activity is ending and another is beginning especially if that current activity is a favourite one, so it's a very motivating one, like our iPads or TV programmes or particular games. Um, so to ease this, you know, you could try using visual verbal countdown, so the 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 mm -hmm. to help transition. Um, using sand timers can also be good. Um, digital timers, so ones that maybe beep whenever the time is up. Mm -hmm. It's all about creating that expectation that something's about to change. Directing maybe um, your child to their schedule so that they can see what's coming next and therefore they know what to expect. Um, using a first and then can, to gain cooperation for a task, which may be essential for the child to complete but not overly motivating for them. So, for example, like tabletop work or getting, dre or getting dressed. So you try to follow a non-preferred task with something motivating. So first tabletop, then snack. Yeah. something like that to make it easier for that transition to, for them to manoeuvre through. A transitional object as well that is used only for supporting a transition can also be helpful and this could also have a sensory component so it could be a specific fidget toy or like a comforting object mm -hmm. that really just helps them go between one activity to another. And I think it's worthwhile pointing out at this point that a child with a learning disability will have difficulties processing information. Absolutely. They have, you know, processing of information is a bit more delayed. Yeah. So a request that you make, it might take a wee bit longer for them to take in that information, sort it out in their head as to what's being asked for them. Yeah. Um, try and find the, the answer to the question and then complete the question. Absolutely. Um, so some children might do that quite quickly. For other children, they need a bit longer of a process. Yeah. And transitions are very like that very because much. you're you're at, you're essentially asking the uh, child to stop and move on. Yeah. But they need the time to process that. Yeah. And quite often we would always let go by that ten second rule mm -hmm. for process and and these activities these types of things like the five four three two one would be. The most common mm -hmm. for us and again yeah. it's it's very good because you can take it as slow or as fast as you need it to be it's also very good because quite often children like even will be fixated on your hand just doing five four three two one mm -hmm. so for go out and about you know and being in places you know that can be more practical to yeah. use um, and definitely mm -hmm. by keeping that you know if your child has a process and that 10 second rule is a very good thing to um, allow them time, allow them that time and at the same time present that time again. It might take a bit of back and forward, back and forward, but eventually it's a bit like um it's a bit like swimming, being underwater and having to come up 
takes a wee bit of time, time. particularly if you're engrossed in a, an activity. Yeah. So yeah, so that all those types of um, strategies will help to prepare, you know, your child for what is coming up next. And the reminders that the, you know, those reminders really help bridge the transition. So it's especially useful for limiting time spent on tablets or iPads. Um, and I know there's some apps available for parents which allow you to control some of those timers, you know, from their phones, so like monitoring, like screen time usage yeah. and things like that. They can be can be quite useful. Okay, um, so today we've talked about household activities, we've talked about activities of daily living, we've talked about play, we've also talked about it's not just about the activity, it's about the context as well. Yeah. It's about having the right environment, um, whether it is plastic boxes or a particular table for a particular thing whether it is having the communication environment right as well or the sensory environment. So it's not just about play. There's a whole lot of things that people need to be thinking about. And as you say, preparation is key. Yeah. Um, Amanda, thanks very much. Um, that I, I think that's been really useful. And um, I think today we talked about things that maybe will prompt some parents to, ha to think about things a bit differently, but maybe also allow parents time to think about oh how we can plan our day and how we can think about um routines and activities slightly differently yeah so your time is much appreciated thank you and listeners um thanks for listening uh we hope the podcast has been useful to you and it is something that you can refer back to you will see that there's uh surveys attached to the podcasts and the videos we would really appreciate your feedback and let us know how helpfully or what else you would like to hear about and um, this is one of a series of podcasts so feel free to look at the other podcasts and for now all the best. Bye.